There is too much to read, there is too much to do My productivity is at war with my Netflix queue Read all that I could read, saw that I could see Finish the internet, wait, hold on, oh yeah, that thing The next time we hang out, I'll unburden myself My money can't rest till then Oh, it's time, it's time for oh yeah, that thing again Hello, this is Oh Yeah, That Thing, the podcast where we finally get around to that thing we heard about a while ago. I'm Audrey. And I'm Pei. <laughs> I love the awkward pause after we introduce ourselves. <laughs> you would think we would know by now what to do. I, uh, I don't know no. if that's true. I'm just now doing a little like, what, what would I naturally do there? I don't, I think I would naturally just pause. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess the naturally, the natural thing to do would, uh, we would just say hello and then do whatever we were planning to do. That's true. <laughs> Instead of introducing ourselves every time to people on the internet. Yeah. Who continue uh, to download episodes, even I, in the last few months. Oh, really? Nice. I love it. Warms my heart. Yeah, I have no idea who, who it is. <laughs> Didn't you say there were some people in, like, Europe or something that, that were downloading things? The Not last things, time I checked, episodes. yeah, there were... I can't remember the, if it said exactly where, but... There were some European downloads, some downloads from Asia, but it could also be people with VPNs, I realize. So who knows? Oh. I was going to say international baby, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's mostly the numbers that baffle me because there was a couple of weeks ago where like there was a week that the podcast was downloaded like 70 times. I'm like, why? Whoa. <laughs> we don't even have that many episodes. <laughs> True. Maybe if someone found one they particularly love and they just were playing it over <laughs> and over again. Maybe. And we uh, just, and because we're not good at social media, it's not like we're engaging with people online to find out <laughs> what's going on. So. No. No, the only time we pop in is to be like, hey, guess what's going on? We got a new episode. Yep. And then that's that's it. Yeah. I feel like that's mostly what we should be doing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know. Yeah. Social media is a lot of work. It is. And I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't think being an influencer is in our immediate future, but who knows where life will take us. I would <laughs> Probably very not much, there. Yeah, but... I would very much uh, like to never be that, ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no one should lot. ever be influenced by my actions or opinions. <laughs> uh... <laughs> anyway, the last time we, I mean, not the last time we've gotten together, because... We have interacted since our last episode many times. <laughs> yeah. The last time we got together for this was many, many months ago. Mm-hmm. It's been Where's, a little bit. Yeah. Last month was a something. Yeah. That's yeah. one way to put it. <laughs> so that's why we didn't do that. Yeah. 
if you've been alive during the month of January 2021, then you understand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's no need to explain. Nope. And if you weren't, I don't know how this survived this long. Because digital media is only as accessible as the carriers that they're on. Because once something True. is out of date, it's going to take a lot of work to get it off that whatever system used. Yes, exactly. Speaking of, <laughs> I um, since I've been a home for the past however many months, and there's a, a box of uh, flop. They're not floppy disks. Do we just call them floppy disks? All of them, even though they stopped being floppy at a certain point. <laughs> oh, like the little ones. Yeah, the I diskette. I believe they were. Yeah, diskettes were the technical term, but okay. I always call but them we all just called them. Yeah, that's what I thought. They're so, still floppy when when we started using them. So that's true. <laughs> um, so I was talking to a friend on Facetime, and he saw the floppy disk behind me, and he was like, "You should make coasters out of those." But then I was like, "Maybe I should get the documents that are on it <laughs> off first." <laughs> um. Since I've, anytime I come home, I mean to like buy the little USB hookup and, and try it. So I was like, I'm finally going to do what I have all this mm -hmm. time. Um, and so I did it and there are about like 20 or so discs in this box. And I, um, it was a little bit, I, <laughs> I was supposed to be spending time writing my own personal stuff and like being productive, but I spent the whole day <laughs> trying to get these documents off of these discs and like the drive worked pretty okay but i think it wasn't super compatible with the mm -hmm. mac um and like anytime i tried to open certain things with word like there were doc there were like really old things on there like from 2000 2001 <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow so yeah so it totally makes sense that my computer was like, what is this? <laughs> I don't know how to open this and and i was able to open most things i haven't like to, I haven't like done a deep dive and like read everything yet, but I was like really determined to get the ones that were from like the early two thousands because I was like, what was fifth grade, fifth grade <laughs> me talking about? Um, yeah, it was a lot of like school documents and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and um, and then I found a tiny bit of evidence of the time where I would just like save pictures of the Degrassi cast and Diego Luna on my computer because <laughs> I guess those were things I was really interested in in early high school. <laughs> I mean that was when Havana Nights came out so yes. I do remember. Yes and your love I was obsessed with that movie. <laughs> uh. Yeah so it was it was a fun trip down memory lane that I like I think I did it like a week ago and I've completely forgotten about it now, but I do plan to like go back through and look at the documents I can at least open. I had an easier time when I hooked it up to my mom's computer because she has a PC. Mm -hmm. um, and so I could, because there was one disc that I thought I had accidentally erased everything off of and that was the one from like the earliest of 2000s. Um, but I was able to get stuff off on her computer. And yeah. That is such a walk down memory lane, I'm sure. <laughs> It really is. I was so determined to to see that stuff because I, first of all, I didn't know how much or how old the stuff on it would be because I do know, I have a memory of it, my senior year of high school being in like a, our journalism class and 
And I think not till like partway through the year did I start using like a flash drive to transport my things back and mm-hmm. forth between school and mm-hmm. home. Like I was still using discs for until like early 2007, I think. Yeah. Or at least 2006. At some point in my household, we transitioned to CDRs and then eventually CDRWs. Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so I have a lot of those. I know we still have a couple diskettes. I don't like mm-hmm. it. Floppy disks. <laughs> but those are from my mom because she took a, like an art class sometime in the 90s. And so oh. all her work is saved on there somehow. Yeah. I don't, it wasn't a digital art class either on her. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder what's on there. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I think about it because it was like charcoal drawing. So. Oh, interesting. Were they like scanning it into the computer? Maybe. Maybe that's what it was. Were scanners a thing back then? They must have been, they right? Must have. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. No, I'll never know. It is. <laughs> it is really interesting to think of the the sort of technological changes we've seen since like high school, which I keep thinking of high school as if it were five years ago. I know that's not the case. (laughs) Um, But I even in like early high school, I used to uh, record. Once again, Degrassi, that was all my life was about. It really was. (laughs) There was a lot of Degrassi in your life and you introduced it to me. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Oh, I'm preaching, just going around preaching the good word of Degrassi. To this very day. <laughs> yeah. But I used to, like, record episodes on VHS tapes and bring them to school for one of our friends. And and it seems crazy to think about doing that right now. <laughs> oh, this can go so many ways. But because Degrassi, I do remember, and I think it might be on my external hard drive, which I got freshman year mm-hmm. of college. And I should probably get a new one. Because that can't be... It's It seems <laughs> to be working fine, but now I'm wondering if I should uh-huh. buy a better one. So I don't lose everything. Because I have literally yeah. everything on there. Like all my pictures from my various phones and stuff. And mm-hmm. Anyway, I can get into the whole physical media still better than digital media thing in general. But that's a different story. Degrassi. <laughs> I'm pretty sure on that hard drive I have, it was a high school assignment where you had mm-hmm. to reimagine one of the books we read, I think. Okay. And so I chose 1984. Oh. And I said it in like OG Degrassi. So it's... Um, nice. What's his name? Joey? Yeah, yeah. Joey is the main <laughs> character. And Mr. <laughs> starts with an R. It's like the vice principal. Oh, the principal? Yeah. Mr. Yeah, Radich? Yeah, Mr. Radich was like yeah. the enemy, or like the government, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, if I, oh, man. Was Caitlin the lady? I don't remember. I don't know if I included, like, that much detail. It was only, like, a couple pages long. Oh, okay. But, yeah, it, it it sticks in my mind, and if I find it, I'll have to send it to you. Yes, it's please. It's too embarrassing to actually put publicly on the internet, I think. But, like most things that I wrote, ever. 
I was about to say in high school, but no, anything I wrote in college, I probably also wouldn't want out in the public. So please don't look for it. <laughs> I'm sure you can get your hands on it somehow, but please leave it alone. I've, I was stupid and I've learned so much since then. Um, but yeah, I, I'll have to find it. I'll have to send it to you. I hope you find it. Um, I'll send it to Sarah too. It is, <laughs> yes, because yes, she would absolutely <laughs> enjoy that very much too. Um, but yeah, it was. There's one document that I haven't read yet, but I do kind of remember. It's either from sixth or seventh grade, and it was me writing about myself twenty years later, which I think is technically now because I think it was from two thousand one. Mm. So I'm gonna read it. I'm sure my life as I imagined it when I was eleven is. <laughs> <laughs> what it is now but i'm very curious to, to yeah see. it is nice that you do have things from that era because i think the oldest stuff i have that's digital anyway is high school yeah um i don't know we went through so many computers in my house because there was a lot of teenagers so there was a lot of illegal downloading of stuff <laughs> And so LimeWire was, uh, and Kazaa were, were heavily used to download all sorts of things mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. many people. And eventually the computers are like, do you know what you just put on me? Because I'm going to stop now. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. I just wanted to listen to MXPX. And then in 10 years, you realize it wasn't even an MXPX song. It was some other song. <laughs> and then you're like, why was I trying to download um, MXPX songs? We had the entire discography. <laughs> uh, that is really funny, though. There is something, like you said, very fragile about digital media. And it always does scare me that you could like put all these things on your little drive and then spill some water on it and it's all gone. <laughs> yeah. So, but then like, yeah. the cloud freaks me out. Because yeah, if someone wanted to, they could get into it. Yeah, I don't get the cloud, so I don't use yeah. it. <laughs> and it's not like I have anything that I'd be like, oh, no. But it's just, yeah. despite the fact that I've, I'm, or maybe because of the fact that I am an identity theft victim, I'm like, I don't want all my shit everywhere all the time. I like to have it in yeah. a physical form where, where it yeah. just can't be taken <laughs> Exactly. Without you physically <laughs> coming someone... to my home and stealing it from my exactly. cold, dead hands. <laughs> like, I want you to put in work to steal my stuff, yes. not just, like, typity-type-type type and take yes. it. <laughs> Which, in itself, is work, because I don't know how to do it. Yeah, and the people true. who do know how to do it have had to learn. But, you know, just leave, yeah. leave me alone. I don't have anything. <laughs> exactly. Don't steal from, like, rich people. Yeah. That's fine. Which, speaking of, once again... <laughs> Look, I wasn't going to say anything, but I am killing it with the transitions today. You, you can are. leave this in, I or you can keep, you keep it out, I don't know. I just wanted to say it out loud. <laughs> Very proud of myself. But yeah, so this... I was going to say this week, that's not how our episodes go. So this episode, <laughs> we watched a little documentary, um called Sour Grapes. Um, 
eh. Sorry, I was swallowing coffee. <laughs> it's okay. I also don't know why I stopped. <laughs> As if I needed you to confirm that that's what we... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's a fairly straightforward premise. There's this guy named Rudy who Mm -hmm. showed up in the early 2000s in like the wine auction world Mm -hmm. and like essentially conned everyone. Big time. Like, yeah, like for the millions, millions of dollars. (laughs) And like he 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 charmed every it, yeah it, it's this is it's just ah ah I don't even know where I'm going with this scams are so, oh, interesting. so interesting uh preferable if the people who are being scammed will not you know lose their livelihood forever yeah. by being scammed yeah <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of those so <laughs> yeah. um Funnily enough, when you suggested it, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I'm like, this story sounds familiar. And then we both put together that because we both listened to Scam Goddess, mm-hmm. that amazing podcast, they did an episode for it. Yeah. But when I started watching it, I was like, oh, wait, no, I've definitely seen this documentary. Oh, you had? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why my memory is so bad. <laughs> so I have seen it, but... Okay. I didn't remember the details, and it was still interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's wrong with my brain all the time. <laughs> Honestly, I can't remember anything either, so I'm right there with you. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, like you, do enjoy the scam when it, yeah, like you said, doesn't completely drain somebody's life or ruin their life. Mm-hmm. And especially with with this where so this rudy guy is basically scamming a bunch of people out of big sums of money because uh wine collecting is a big thing that i I don't think i really realized that was a thing but it it makes sense i'm not like whoa what (laughs) but um (laughs) these really rich people and especially starting in uh, not starting in the early 2000s but it became like a big thing in the early 2000s with like the tech community when all these these dude bros were right. making like yeah. big cash from technology stuff and so it was like a big thing for them to they would go to these auctions and buy this really rare wine these really rare wines um for huge sums of money like hundreds of thousands of dollars for one bottle of wine um which is insane <laughs> to me mm-hmm. as especially as someone who i i have mixed feelings about wine i i drink it and i have fun drinking it but to me a lot of it tastes the same and and i wonder the difference between a 20 bottle of wine and a hundred thousand dollar bottle of wine like are you really tasting the difference or are you tricking yourself into thinking it tastes much better because it costs more <laughs> yeah th- that's a a good point i there's definitely a difference for sure because mm-hmm. i i don't drink wine really and the mm-hmm. kind of wine i like is the one that tastes like juice so i'm not <laughs> i'm not this clientele at all yeah <laughs> um but i do recognize that if it is your drink of choice there will be a, a distinction between you know a cheap bottle of wine and something that was like a vintage year of like and and it makes sense because some years produce better grapes than others. So, mm-hmm. okay, that makes sense in my head. Mm-hmm. 
but to me the thing is more and this is not just for wine but generally a certain type of collecting mm-hmm. that i will never understand why people do it uh-huh because people do it this also with like even skateboards like secondary market for certain art on skate decks mm-hmm. is a big thing like um there's a couple companies in particular that when they do a drop like 30 minutes after they've sold out they're already on ebay trying to collect like yeah. hundreds and hundreds of dollars for something that was 80 bucks to begin with yeah and so that is the part that i don't get of this type of collecting mm-hmm. because especially for things like wine and skateboards mm-hmm. which inherently are made to be used yeah exactly and like with art it's a whole different thing but you don't use art you don't consume it yeah right so the fact that people hold on to these things that are meant to be consumed it's just i don't get it yeah (laughs) i mean i guess it's for the money and for the prestige of saying i have this thing and one day i could let you taste it yeah and that's kind of how this guy Rudy got people. I think so, yeah. So, I don't know. No, it's true. I'm kind of thinking of, I mean, he's not like a big time collector like other people, but my brother's kind of like a, like, a, a little bit of a sneakerhead, I guess, or he's a sneakerhead, mm. but he doesn't have like millions of dollars to just be like filling a closet with sneakers, <laughs> but it's kind of but a But if simil- he did, he would. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> But when you were talking about the skateboard thing, it was kind of reminding me of how I've heard him talk about sneaker drops and stuff like that. They drop these, like, exclusive lines and all the bots buy them up and then, like, post them for, like, way above what they... I mean, sneakers are expensive, but then they make them even more expensive. Um, And then it is one of those things where I once... When I worked at um, a talent management company, I once sat in on this meeting for these, like vine stars remember vine (laughs) Uh, (laughs) tiktok of 15 years ago and so they were trying to like they were basically like brainstorming a tv show for all these like big time vine stars to star in and i was kind of looking them up later because i was never on vine i didn't know who these people were and there was one guy in Mm -hmm. particular who his thing was like his sneaker collection and he had like his sneakers in these like specialized like plastic kind of special tupperware boxes and Mm -hmm. It's just very, it's intriguing to me because kind of like wine, like wine's meant to be drunk. Sneakers are meant to be worn. I mean, I guess you could like stick them on your wall and they could be art because that is a form of art, like designing sneakers and stuff like that. But it is interesting to collect something like that. that, I guess sneakers are a little bit different. I can see you like decorating with that. You don't need to eat a sneaker, but they are, (laughs) they are meant to be worn and and I feel like they're meant to be shown off like any kind of clothing that you buy. You don't like buy a dress mm-hmm. and then like stick it on your wall. You wear it so people like see how you look in it and you can show yeah. off something that you like. So it, but then there's, yeah, it's just, it's similar-ish and, and, but wine makes less sense to me because yeah, I feel like if you buy a bottle of wine, you're like, oh, I can't wait to taste it. Not like I can't wait to put it in my cellar and just like show it to my friends when they come over and then put it back. Right. Yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It is interesting. I feel like there's something about skate deck and sneaker collecting now that has a similarity too in that both of them are objects that 
became culturally important because of not necessarily like underground, but more not yet mainstream culture. Mm -hmm. So like when sneakerheads really started getting to like collecting sneakers, this is what, like late eighties, early nineties, right? I Something don't like that. No, maybe. Because not to derail, but I sat in, I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but that docu, that Michael Jordan documentary that everyone's watching last yeah. year, when I watched the episode where they were talking about his deal with Nike, Air Jordans and stuff like that, and the way they described it, they're like, this little brand that nobody knew about, Nike, like it wasn't a big popular brand, and that was the mid to late 80s. So yeah, I guess mm-hmm. maybe around then, yeah, it must have been. Yeah, I saw that too, so that's probably why that, that date range is what stuck in my head as like the start mm-hmm. the real start of it like i'm mm-hmm. sure there are people collecting cool sneakers before that because there's always collectors of stuff yeah no what. <laughs> but to this degree where like people were trying to get it to resell it for a lot of money later mm-hmm. and then but even so like the independently wealthy older white guy collector mm-hmm. didn't really get into sneakers until maybe a decade or two ago still you know what i mean yeah like it still had to like build its own collecting community yeah to the point where they're like where like these rich guys are like oh this is something i can start buying because right. i have the money and yeah. then just put on display even though i have absolutely no interest in the product itself. yeah yeah and that to me is kind of what wine collecting is gotcha yeah because not everyone who collects wine actually really likes wine, right? <laughs> yeah. That that's been wine and art in my mind. I'm sure someone could tell me differently. Mm-hmm. Those are like the two things that the established rich people have always collected. Mm-hmm. Because good wine has always been something that rich people would hold on to, right? Yeah. When they would have it. And like art is the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know where I was going with this. Sneakers, wine. Sneakers, wine. Sneakers were, you know, primarily a black culture in America thing that mm-hmm. eventually became quote-unquote mainstream culture. Yeah. Know, as we know, so much of American culture stems from black culture. And yeah. Culture and, like, anything that isn't quote-unquote mainstream anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... I guess the point is maybe that's why I don't understand wine collecting because it is this established thing that always seemed like for something I will never be for many reasons. Yeah. I am not a man. I am not white. (laughs) I am not independently wealthy and will never be. So it just seems so elitist i guess that's it took me about 10 minutes to get to the point where (laughs) wine collecting seems elitist i was the thing that most astounded me watching the documentary was the sort of numbers that they were throwing around which i kind Mm. of already said before but I, i think i wrote down a couple things that they said but it i think this and i'm sure this is part of what they were talking about but it was the the documentary besides being about this 
this kind of exclusive wine collecting community also was about just like wealth to me a mm-hmm. lot and 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 just like the just the kind of access that these that you get with with wealth i was kind of when bill coke is that it how do you say mm-hmm. his last name yeah when he was like mad that he'd been duped he like hired a private investigator he was able to get a C- someone from the CIA to start looking into it and and I read it in an article talking about the documentary that 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 he had more resources than, resources than the FBI had because of his access to money and yeah. that was just it was incredible to me yeah that that's actually the first note I wrote down because I wanted to remember was about Bill Koch because the Koch brothers as we know um but he said something like i have that he had like 400 bottles of confirmed fake wine Mm -hmm. after he hired his investigator and he said something like which i paid four million dollars for so four million dollars for 400 bottles of wine oh i wrote that down too (laughs) and i put four exclamation points after it like (laughs) and you're fine yeah (laughs) Like, that's the problem. And the best part about it wasn't like, he wasn't like, oh my god, I lost so much money. He was like, someone duped me. He was mad that he got duped, not mad that someone stole, yeah. basically stole a bunch of money from him. Yeah. He's like, on average, that's like $10,000 a bottle of perfect wine. Yeah. And like, at that point, I'm like, I don't care that you got duped. No. Like, I'm, I was going to say I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. If you can just drop that much money without paying attention to what you're purchasing, then no. <laughs> that, yeah, I did not feel bad for any of these people. Um, and that's kind of something that, that in the Scam Goddess podcast that she's always like, I'm fine with people scamming rich people. And I'm like, I think I am too. <laughs> Because yeah. if you're not, yeah, if you can like, yes, if you can spend $100,000 on a bottle of wine and be like, great, and you're not, that's not your life savings, that's like a drop in the bucket for you, and the mm-hmm. only thing you really care about is that someone fooled you in the end, then yeah. I don't really feel bad for you. And you get to drink that wine, I'm sure it tastes fine, <laughs> or if you ever do drink it. Like... <laughs> yeah, well, there's, I, I don't remember most people's names in the documentary, unfortunately, but there is the... One of few women in the documentary who oh, yeah. is who started as a buyer at these auctions, um, and they show her. There's so much footage too of yeah. like the things actually happening, which I don't know why that surprised me because as soon as cameras were available to the regular person, everyone started filming everything. So yeah, <laughs> duh, that this exists. There's like a clip where she's talking about how she bought like $100,000 worth of champagne because her client's daughter was getting married or something. Oh, yeah. That's what she used to do. And I guess she's since transitioned because of what happened with um, this particular scam into being like a forensic investigator and like checking wine, which I thought was (laughs) so cool. I was like, I want to hear more about that. (laughs) Um, But she's the one who said something about how the, the kind of, and she said herself, primarily men who are mm-hmm. in these rooms buying this stuff. 
the kind of money that they're dropping is what we refer to as fuck you money. Yeah, yeah. As in, I'm doing this because I can, and you can't fucking do anything about it. Yeah. And they had this one guy that they talked to, I think it said he was like a private equity something. Okay. Essentially, he makes money by making money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a real job. <laughs> like, uh... he's probably one of the guys who got mad when the whole GameStop stocks yeah. thing happened. <laughs> So, he was my least favorite person. My second least favorite person, probably, in the I'm entire documentary. I don't remember which one, which one he was, but go on. He was <clears> also <throat> the same guy who was in the van drinking oh, okay. film producer. I hated that and guy. Then, yeah. He was, was talking about the champagne. Yes, and if you can't afford it, just drink beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he said something else, too. When they they were in a restaurant eating, and the film producer, I think they were just like little appetizers and stuff. He was just like eating with his hands, oh, yeah. and the private equity guy turns to the the other dude. He's like, "Do you want to use a fork because this is on film?" And the guy's like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh God, this guy." That made me laugh. This guy. <laughs> um. Anyway, so those are the kind of people that. Rudy was scamming, right? Yeah. Like, they they weren't concerned about losing the money and something, like you said, they were just concerned about looking dumb. Yeah. Um, That was basically the, the whole thing behind Bill Koch getting into investigating it was he was mm-hmm. upset that someone sold him big wine. <laughs> yeah. They did talk to one guy who seemed like more of a as close to an average Joe wine collector, the guy who's into Burgundies. Was and... it one of the producer guys? I uh, no? don't remember. Okay. But, like, when they were interviewing in his house, his house looked normal. Okay. And he had, like, <laughs> the labels just in, like, a little... Oh, that guy. Yes, yes, yes. He and was, in like, a box. collected like, the little label. Yeah. Yeah, because he was collecting, like, his experience of it, drinking yeah. this wine. Like... That I understood. That makes more sense to me, yeah. Yeah. And he's the one who said something like, when he first met Rudy, Rudy asked him, what's the oldest of this particular Burgundy you drank? And he gave him the date. He's like, oh, well, just in last year, I had this and this and this and this and this and this. And uh, this collector was like, I'd been searching for those my entire life, essentially. And the fact that he had them in a year was just like... Who is this guy? Yeah, <laughs> I think I read that down. That guy down too. He said he would. He'd been waiting. He would. He'd been looking for that particular wine to taste for over twenty years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think that makes more sense to me. Like the act of like drinking the wine and maybe even like keeping your little label and a little journal, being like, I drank this with this and this person. It tastes this way. I really enjoy. Like that makes more sense to me than just putting it in a cellar and <laughs> to show off later yeah Yeah. i do i mean he's not he's not going to incriminate himself but i do wish they could have interviewed rudy me too i i was i was missing i was curious to see how he would explain himself Mm because i i just i also i liked the mystery of him a lot i was like that no one really still knows anything about his background or where his money was coming from and it was hard to tell if he was even 
actually rich? I guess he was because he was throwing around this money or he had money coming in from somewhere, but he was also like in debt to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, But also one thing that another reason I kind of just wanted to see him on screen was that you could see in the little video because they had at some point he was like shooting footage for a pilot for like a, some sort of wine travel kind of show or something like that. So that's where, Oh, that's what that footage is from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That makes so much sense now. I was like, why is this? Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you can see he's like a very charming dude and, and, and which obviously I think you just have to be charming to be a scammer. Like you can't mm-hmm. be someone that people hate. And, and I was really kind of struck by the two film producers in the movie. There's Hollywood Jeff and this, I don't Yeah. That was his name. And some other right, guy. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. His name was Arthur. And they were the two guys who were like, had gotten close to Rudy in this time period. And you could tell they were still in disbelief. They're like, I can't believe Rudy did this. And one of them was talking about he, how he really wants to go see him in prison and and they were just really kind of in shock and they couldn't they're like I don't I just can't see him doing this and I think that's to me that's the mark of a good scammer is when people find the people who are like close to you find out they're like I can't know but he was my pal (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah you can you could see it in those videos how if you were one of those people, you would also get sucked into like Rudy's charm. And he did seem to know a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, I can't remember who said it, but someone in the documentary said the only way you learn this is by drinking it. Yeah. Like the only way you know that this 1962 bloody bloody blah tastes like this is because you yourself tasted it and that you have the palate to know. So that's what I want to know. Yeah, I <sighs> like. <laughs> I want to know about him mixing the <laughs> the cheaper wine. So they did say it was like still like expensive wine, but it was like much cheaper than than the wine that these people thought they were buying. But mm-hmm. the fact that he could at least mimic these wines by doing his little wine chemistry in his kitchen <laughs> yeah, is pretty which amazing. Is so fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and I think. Um... The forensic lady was talking about how in the evidence they found in the house, there are bottles that had like multiple formulas written on it, but he would like cross them out if he didn't like it. So like he was doing, yeah, he was a knowledgeable person. Mm -hmm. How did he get this knowledge? He couldn't have done it alone. Yeah, that's, yeah. I was going to ask if he thought he did. No, there's no way. Because he did. Because they said he did like hundreds of thousands of bottles. Or am, am I exaggerating? Yeah, something like that. Because, um, like the first big sell that he did with that auctioneer that he essentially put on the map by doing mm-hmm. the entire catalog was just his seller. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So, okay. yeah, if if you can dedicate an entire catalog's worth of auction items just to your collection, that's a huge collection. Yeah. So. And I think they say that some of the bottles were confirmed real, so not all of them are fake, mm-hmm. so that they managed to get a real collection and then build on it. But yeah. I, I don't know. And no, it is, it's really fascinating. I'd love to hear from him. And maybe now that he's served his sentence, he can just tell us everything that he did. Oh, that's <laughs> a good point. 
I didn't even look to see because it was a 10-year sentence. Yeah, he just, he actually just got, I just looked it up this morning. He um, got to leave prison late last year. So I think it was like November 2020. And, mm. and I think he was, I don't know if he's been to, but he immediately went from, from prison to like an ICE detention center because he was supposed to be deported. Um, so I, I hope at this point that they're not still holding him in a detention center and that he's either been deported or he's just roaming around back to his kitchen to make more fake wine. <laughs> but <laughs> ICE loves deporting and yeah, Ugh. yeah. Um, but I was I was a big. Rudy fan at the end of it because yeah the amount of work that goes into that also the only thing that I will dock him points on is his lack of research in fact I will dock everybody points for lack of research <laughs> because as a buyer first of all you're, I guess this is how much they don't care about the money they're spending you're spending all this money on something I would research it to make sure this wine was made in this particular year to make sure I'm buying real wine mm -hmm. first of all but also I don't have billions millions of dollars to my name so i would be very particular <laughs> about what i was buying <laughs> and then on rudy's part i was like oh man like you should have made sure that like these things that you were passing off as these wines were real because that's where his kind of downfall was was that the people who were really familiar were like wait that wine wasn't made in that year we didn't start making it until this particular year etc etc um but yeah, it is just proof of how much they didn't care. They're just like, it's expensive and vintage and rare. I want it. <laughs> Give it to me. Right. Yeah, because there was the one winemaker who produced one of the burgundies that, um, I think it was a burgundy wine that Rudy was faking. Oh, he was one of my <laughs> favorites. <laughs> yeah, he was the one of the people that I did feel, I guess, empathy for. Because even from the beginning, like his first interview in the documentary, he says something like, you know, I'll sell, we'll sell a bottle of wine for like a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars, I guess he said, and then I'll see it for sale for a thousand dollars not long after him. And like, but why? Yeah. And that's the same thing with like the sneakers and the skateboards. Like people will just buy it to sell it for more later. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, why not? I mean, I know why not because greed and... Yeah. capitalism and all that yeah um but why not let the people who actually would enjoy it enjoy it yeah so from the beginning i was like okay i i, I can see you're doing this because it matters to you that your product is being used to mm -hmm. defraud people yeah Besmirched. and <laughs> yeah and like i think it was on one of their bottles that there was like a spelling error I think on the so. labels and that was one of the wait a minute kind of moments yeah <laughs> or he was even talking about how like well aged the labels were mm -hmm. and then he said but almost too well because you could see like almost the exact point where they're like okay this is enough and yeah. stopped. <laughs> um yeah so that guy was interesting i saw an article from a couple years ago that i guess they're starting to put some sort of like electronic label behind the real label of the bottles now so that they can't so be people know they're real yeah just yeah interesting if i watched a narrative version of this film 
Um, I would want to see this dude. I think his name is like Laurent or something, or however you say it the French way. And I would, I would want to watch a movie of, from with two perspectives from Laurent and Rudy, and them like closing in on each other. Because also one of my favorite parts about about this this guy, the wine guy, was his his determination to like clear the name of his his vineyard and he talks about how he like met up with Rudy and he had this whole plan to like befriend Rudy so that he could like kind of wear him down <laughs> and maybe get him to admit that it was him who was who was faking these wines and 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 I just thought that would be like a I just liked the the pairing of those two and and his like how he kind of went into like detective mode <laughs> so like he's like I'm gonna find who's doing this <laughs> Yeah. If they ever did a narrative version, that would probably be like, catch me if you can. They would have Rudy, and then they would have uh, the FBI. Oh, yeah. Trying to hone in on him. And Bill Koch in the background. (laughs) I still haven't seen Catch Me If You Can, actually. Great scammer. Yeah. I have scammed his way all the way to the top to work for the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm kind of like, that's what I was thinking also is like some, I don't, I mean, I guess they wouldn't really need him, but some like winemaker should hire Rudy <laughs> or something. I don't know. Or like one of those wine, that lady who does the wine forensics. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of, that was kind of an interesting aspect because you don't, you don't think about it, but that, um, I do kind of like those historical kind of things like the fact that she could be like oh this wine bottle was too light for the glass that they were using at this time or they weren't using that particular type of cork or I just think that's that aspect is definitely kind of interesting and what a cool job to say that you have that you're like a wine forensics person scientist I guess would that be investigator (laughs) investigator yeah 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 there's even something like um again the devil's in the details right she was talking about or I think it was her a bottle that had like the original wax or cap on the top mm-hmm. but then the label was new oh so, like, yeah even they didn't match among themselves so, yeah like, and that's that's true for anything because there's a lot of uh like art fraud or rare book fraud too and it's the same thing like it's 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 all in the details mm-hmm. all, all of this is so almost bizarrely well recorded like the people who know yeah know (laughs) (laughs) like uh, a thing in rare book cataloging is you don't just catalog the object the way you would with like a new thing Mm -hmm. you also record like provenance if you know like who used to own it you Mm -hmm. record like the very specific differences it has based on a different copy mm-hmm. just because they are so unique and that seems to be the case with the wine stuff too yeah, yeah. Um, this is kind of a little off topic because I guess I like I said earlier I don't I don't know that I necessarily have the palette you need for wine or or maybe I don't I mean I obviously don't drink very expensive wines but um, I watched this movie recently. It, it they kind of talked about it a little bit in the documentary, just like sommeliers and their and how good you can get at like identifying wines. Mm-hmm. And there's this Netflix movie 
by the the showrunner of Insecure, Prentice Penny. He like directed it. I think he also wrote it. And I'm forgetting oh, cool. what it's called. But it was about this guy, this uh, this young black man who is really into wine. And so he starts to um, go through whatever special school you have to go to to be like a world-class sommelier. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of like wine tasting in the movie, but what? But you, you basically are learning to like identify where the grape is from, like what kind of grape it is, where it's from, uh, uh, and all kinds of like weird aspects of it that you wouldn't think of as just like a normal person like throwing back a glass of wine, um, and it's just like it's wine culture is just very interesting to me because because sometimes I because I did one wine tasting birthday with a friend. Where we like got in the thing and went to the different vineyards and drinking the wine. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Do you taste the hints of this and this?" And I'm like, "I'm just drinking wine. <laughs> like, I'm just having a, a good time <laughs> drinking wine." And <laughs> and part of me wants to be able to be like, mm, "Yes, this and that and that," and but I'm also kind of accepting that that just won't be me, and I don't want to be a snob about wine. Um, mm-hmm. It's just very interesting to me that it's it feels like something that is kind of subjective, but there's also kind of a science to tasting it. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah, there is definitely the ability to learn to pick up these different things. Yeah. The more, if you go to like one of those, not schools, but whatever they call them to become a world-class sommelier. But then there are things like, um, this is the study I was trying to find before we recorded. Mm -hmm. And if I find a citation we can post it, but who's going to read a study that's probably behind a paywall. (laughs) But if I'm remembering the overall idea of the study, it was from like 2000, published in like 2007, so around there. Mm -hmm. It was to see how color affected odor. Okay. And so they had sommeliers tasting wines. Mm Mm-hmm. And some of them were white wines that had been colored red. Oh. And in those cases, um, it was more difficult for them to identify it as actually a white wine. Oh. And so I, I think a lot of people probably when that study came out was like, oh, it's all fake <laughs> and it, it's all just a lie yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> but like you said, there's a science to Like there's a science to flavor. Mm-hmm. not like taste is a sense flavor is an experience of so, god i can't believe i just said that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's it involves your sense of smell your sense of taste even the way something looks obviously mm-hmm. it's just even the color which even how we perceive colors different from person to person so mm-hmm. maybe maybe even that affects how you something tastes when you eat it texture like mm-hmm. it all comes together to the one thing and so if you can train those different senses to work together yeah to pick up all these details and wine good for you yeah like, that's pretty that's amazing cool <laughs> yeah. but you know don't be a dick about it if someone <laughs> doesn't know <laughs> that's the main lesson to most things don't be a dick about yeah. it <laughs> yeah that's that's true when you love something and you like and you know the ins and outs of it just don't be rude to people who are more casual consumers of it and and, exactly. And can't necessarily speak about it the way that you do. Yeah. Like, I I guess the closest thing I have to being a wine connoisseur, I guess, as far as alcohol, would be different types of bourbon. Mm-hmm. And there is this one uh, bourbon, Pappy Van Winkle, 
great name. That's a great name. (laughs) Um, And it is expensive. It's like $1,000 for a bottle. Mm -hmm. And there's something called pappy hunting because you're trying to find it and trying to get it. And I always wondered if I could afford to drop that much money on a bottle, would I? Mm -hmm. And then I decided no, because even though I really like bourbon... I mean, I don't drink as much as I used to, so mm-hmm. I don't maybe don't like it as much as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like it would be, for my palate, a disappointment mm-hmm. to drink it because I cannot fathom something being so good that it warrants that cost. Yeah, for most things yeah. <laughs> in general. <laughs> So, and I think there's, I think I, like, I have never even had a chance to taste it. I think there might be a bar in D.C. that specializes in bourbon. I think they sometimes have it, but it's Mm -hmm. like $60 for one serving. Whoa. (laughs) Because it's an expensive bottle. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) So if I want to, I guess I could go and do it. But it'll, it'll never be as good yeah. as what I want it to be. Yeah, that's that's the thing is, like, well, maybe this doesn't really relate, but <laughs> it's kind of like the, the times where it went to, to me, and, ex- and I'm trying to think of what's the most expensive bottle of wine I've ever bought. It's probably no more than $20. <laughs> because usually I'm like, what's less than $15 on these shelves? But... Um, <laughs> It's but even though when I do get like something that seems nice, you do the whole thing where you like save it for a special occasion and mm-hmm. and it almost like puts too much pressure on <laughs> the drink and yeah and yeah, it's I yeah, for to me I like food and I like food experiences and I think like if I ever do have tons of money that's probably what I would spend the most of my money on, but not in one sitting. I wouldn't go and sit down for like thousand dollar steaks or anything like that. I would just buy lots of hamburgers all the time <laughs> or whatever. But yeah. um but yeah, it's hard it's it is hard to think of spending that much money on something that you're just consuming. Um because it, it's almost like, is this going to elevate the experience so much more that because I spent a thousand, like, am I going to have more fun because I spent a thousand dollars or bought a like cup of $60 bourbon? Or am I going to have just as much fun with like a glass that's much cheaper, but like it's the people I'm with and the, the thing that I'm doing, the place that I am. Um, yeah. 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 I think for, for me, the amount of money I spend on something the higher the price, it needs to be justified for a good reason. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a couple of years ago, I started, I stopped buying fast fashion if I could avoid it, mm-hmm. which for some things can be difficult. Like, I've yet to find good pants. I'm trying really hard to find good <laughs> pants. <laughs> pants are hard. But they're hard. <laughs> and so I've just been wearing the same old pants and like, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm paying more for something, I want to know what I'm paying for. Am I just paying for 
the name of who's selling it to me, but they're mm-hmm. still using like sweatshops, be it overseas or mm-hmm. in the States, because there are sweatshops in the States. So just because it says made in USA doesn't mean it was made ethically. Yeah. Am I paying because they're using dead stock fabric, which is more expensive to buy and use, and it's more limited, but it's more environmentally friendly. Like, what am I paying for? Mm-hmm. If it if it makes sense, and it's actually very heavy air quotes, because it's kind of a pretentious thing to say, doing good for the world. Yeah. <laughs> because really the best thing we, I could do is not buy anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's, if it's something... It's not as bad as buying fast fashion. Mm-hmm. And okay. And like, it means I cut out a lot of brands that I was buying from before. Yeah. Like even some that I thought were a little more ethical. The more I learned, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I guess not. So it needs a good reason. It can't just be because of the experience we're giving you. Yeah. I can't have like a, a 200% markup on something just because you thought of getting this cheap thing and giving it to someone else yeah <laughs> no yeah I definitely agree um yeah I've been think I've been having a lot of the same conversations with myself around clothes and also uh right now obviously it's not a good time for thrifting but when the world mm-hmm. is safer for that I'd like to try doing that more um but when I do buy new clothes I have been I have been a little bit more comfortable spending more money on, like you said, all the things that you listed and also like quality clothing. Cause with a lot of the fast fashion things, sure they're cheap, but then they like fall apart really soon. And okay. Yeah. I only spent $15 on it, but it's, it feels kind of like a waste. Like I want my clothes to last too. So it's also like quality is also becoming important to me on that specific thing. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it is really interesting to think about, and money and the value that you give to it and mm-hmm. <laughs> and that like I kind of alluded to before or said outright that that was something in the documentary it was like it seems like the more money you have the less value it has it just almost means less to you because you have so much of it you can do whatever with it yeah and it's yeah and and that's when it becomes it's yeah, it's just hard to fathom because obviously, like I will never have that much money, and I think about if I ever had. I think about what I consider rich for myself, and what I would spend that money on, um, and and yeah, it wouldn't be hundred thousand dollar bottles of wine. That's for sure. <laughs> Thanks for getting around to listening to this episode. If you have a thing you'd like to suggest, you can send us an email at ohyeahthatthing at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website, link in the description. We're at ohyeahthatthing on both Instagram and Twitter, so follow us there if you want to see what things we check out between episodes. And our local art and design is by Rola. Our theme song is by Kate. And we'll have links to their socials in the description as well. In the meantime... Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Bye. Bye. Who knows? You cannot board us technology. Such a butthole. You will find a way. (laughs) Technology is like, no one needs this in their life. I'm like, yes, they (laughs) do.